Welcome to another episode of Skeptics. I'm Josh. And I'm Nayana. And this week on Skeptics, we will be talking about massive layoffs in tech, chat GPT, and India banning a documentary about Prime Minister Modi. So uh, maybe our snappiest introduction so far, Josh, but let's get straight to it. Let's talk first about the layoffs in the world of tech. Now, if you've been following the news on this one, you know that there are multiple companies all over the world, and it's not a recent story necessarily in that it's been ongoing for quite a few months now. We've seen layoffs at Twitter, we've seen layoffs at Meta. More recently, we've been seeing layoffs at Google, um, or rather Alphabet, which owns Google, Microsoft, and as of yesterday, also Spotify. Josh, what do you have to say about these, um, well, the techening, I think we might have called it in the past? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a lot, isn't it? It's certainly a big um, turning point in tech and, and not a good one for those who have been laid off. The numbers here are pretty big. I mean, we're talking about for each of the big five or big six tech firms, depending how you count. Um, collectively, over about 50,000 people have been uh, laid off from all of those sort of big tech companies except for Apple. Um, and each one is losing about 5 to 6% of its uh, global workforce, most of them across many countries. So this is, a, this is a big deal, and I think it really does puncture the idea that tech is just this ever-growing, uh, fully-charged machine that's always looking to grow and hire and acquire companies and everything else. This is a corrective to that, and I think although this will please the investors who are focused on the sort of short-term profit margin from quarter to quarter, uh, I think the bigger picture here is, is that this suggests that the... Uh, there is a size at which tech can get too big before it mm. needs to to uh, look very carefully at its own accounting. Mm. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I think for all of us kind of looking who've studied tech and look at this, you know, perhaps this has been something that's been coming for quite a long time. Um, companies like Amazon have also said that they're going to have a round of um, job cuts later in the year. Other mm. companies have said that even if they're not cutting jobs right now, their plans for growth are perhaps stalled. Um, it does seem like something that's been a long time coming, perhaps. Um, and obviously, you know, the kind of workers that we're looking at are often white collar workers, um, you know, like software engineers, often quite elite workers in many ways. But it, it, it is still kind of a sad thing to consider the number of people losing their jobs, the lack of job security. I've read some really interesting articles about how um, people with, you know, people in the US, for example, because of the the labor laws in the country have something like 60 days to find a new job or they mm-hmm. have to leave. Uh, and even though, you know, these are some of the most possibly qualified people to be able to find a new job, 60 days and the uncertainty of changing jobs, it's a really, really short transition. So I think it kind of highlights the precarity of work at all ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Not that I'm necessarily comparing that precarity to the precarity faced by blue collar workers, but well, yeah. It's, yes, it's always going to be a, a shock to be fired. And I think... The problem now, of course, is going to be this glut of supply on the market of these very highly qualified, yeah. um, previously well-paid um, tech employees with few places, at least in the short term, for them to actually go because, of course, nobody anymore is, is hiring. There's hiring freezes all over the place. Mm. That is, I think, a big uh, a big problem in the kind of short to medium term, um, although I'm sure that, you know, the, the market will, will sort of rebound. Um, but I think the, the bigger point as well that it, that it raises is this question of, is big tech sort of too big to innovate now? Um, mm. Because some of the uh, teams that have been sort of disbanded altogether from these companies are those who sort of uh, work on the big bets. So Google's uh, Verily uh, company, which is life sciences, has been cutting a lot, I think. And other of these kind of exciting labs that pursue these moonshot ideas 
that now is increasingly looking like a luxury which these tech companies can't afford and they're kind of doubling down on the bread and butter of whether it's sales and Amazon or search and Google and, and things like that. So I think the question now is, yeah, is it going to be for another generation of tech companies to uh, do that innovation or do they still have some fuel uh, in the tank to actually pursue them, this kind of thing themselves? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think this concept of too big to innovate and, um, you know, there's a couple of points here. It's like, what happens next for these workers? Where do they go? Yeah. Because they, it's possibly going to have to be a whole different industry. Um, and what happens next for these companies? Like, are we at a point where, you know, quite often, I think when we be thinking about growth, we, we can't imagine, uh, we can't imagine companies backtracking. Yeah. We, we can't imagine going back to a situation where we have fewer workers on call, where things move slower. Everything's just been moving very, very, very fast for the last 10, 20 years for tech. Yeah. So what do you think, Josh? Where do we go on both these counts? Where do the workers go? Difficult for us to answer. And where do the companies go? Which is, I think, maybe more of a skeptic's question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Maybe taking the second one um, first. So one thing that was notable, particularly in the letter that Alphabet's chief executive, Sundar Pichai, sent out, mm. focused on AI as a potential... Uh, area where they're still uh, innovating. Um, this is not an area that uh, Google is retreating from for reasons that I think we're going to talk about. Um, so there is still interest in, in being um, at the cutting edge of, of both kind of research and uh, and innovation for these companies. But I think they're definitely picking their battles a bit more now. For for various reasons, AI it remains very much in the centre of the efforts of these companies to to lead. Um, but what do you think? What's what's next for these companies, and particularly? We haven't talked about one company, uh, Meta, which has put a big bet specifically on the, the Metaverse, of course. Mm. Um, do you think, despite the fact that they're cutting people left, right and centre there, they still have the ability to forge ahead in, in that new market, potentially? Um, so I guess maybe the question of what's next for these companies, maybe we have to think about why is this happening? Like, why are there these massive layoffs? And I think one reason is possibly, you know, really overzealous hiring during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, another reason could be that, yeah, this kind of over zealous belief in the future of certain enterprises that like the metaverse which maybe hasn't taken off in quite the same way mm -hmm. in some cases like with twitter which is kind of a whole separate uh, you know aspect of this tech layoff um story is i think there has been a real um haste to fire people sure. um and i think there'll be a lot of rehirings yeah. even if it's not quite the same volume or numbers i think i think there will have to be rehirings in some areas i think mm. there's also a little bit of a contagion effect with uh firing is that mm. when you know other companies in your industry are firing people it feels like well okay well that's the thing is that they, they clearly <laughs> big tech is a bit of a herd despite us yeah. talking about how much they innovate and how distinctive they are you know they've all done announces in the same week basically five yeah. or six companies spotify today you know the sort of european big tech example i think it is a huge contagion effect i think there's a sense of well what you know looking around the pack even if the pack isn't doing producing the same product because yeah. that's really important is that amazon is not producing the same product as meta yeah um, there would be otherwise be no reason for them to both be firing at the same time. Um, but they are. And I think that, you know, there's maybe there might be a slow collective realization that, OK, we fired very hastily, just as yeah. we possibly hired very hastily. Yeah. Uh, some of these workers, I'm sure, will come back in terms of um, if not. I think the real question is what can work, what, what do what should workers be doing and what will workers do? Mm -hmm. um, I have no idea, actually, mm. um, because as, as you mentioned before, I mean, there's a, a lack of job security in so many areas. Uh, it's not just in tech. Um, and obviously, for a lot of people, the, you know, the need to find a job in the same country or the desire to find a job in the same country makes that even more difficult yeah. about where do you go? 
Um, maybe there'll be more of a push from, you know, countries in the developing world to kind of grow their tech industries. Mm-hmm. Can that happen overnight? Can, you know, no one's going to hire 12,000 people yeah. in the next week. Um, so I think there will be a lot of people who experience a longer term unemployment. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think your point about the pandemic is right too. As, as uh, Pichai said in his uh, blog post, we quote, hired for a different economic reality than the one we face today, which I suppose is, is honest. Yeah. Is the, uh, the, the very different um, economic picture. Um, but let's talk about this area, which um, Google and many other companies have sort of singled out to still try and gain innovation mm. in for, for good reason. And this is, of course... AI, and the story we're focusing on on this front is the news that Microsoft is kind of doubling down its investment in uh, OpenAI, which is a company who has released this ChatGPT bot. Uh, and uh, yeah, this really shows an attempt by Microsoft to consolidate its, uh, its advantage with respect to this seemingly quite powerful uh, piece of software. But yeah, Nana, what is your takeaway from, from this, uh, this move by Microsoft? Um, well, it kind of doesn't surprise me in the sense that AI has been this buzzword for so many companies for such a long time. At the same time, it feels like if you're cutting loads and loads of jobs, it feels strange to put so yeah. much behind this area. Um, I'm not like a big AI person and, you know, ChatGPT, maybe we should talk about our experiences with ChatGPT, yeah. actually. I think I'm, I think we've discussed it privately before, but, you know, it's been this thing that everyone in our department seems to have been playing around with in the last month. Sure. Um, does seem like a lot of fun don't think you know uh, there were almost immediately news articles like will chat gpt replace essays for students you know yeah. pretty sure no for now sure. um i think i can cautiously but confidently say that um what do, what do you think josh about the actual product itself yeah I, you know i've likewise kind of played with it it's a fun toy it reminds me of, of other kind of yeah you know really technically impressive products that have come out in the kind of internet age so google earth would be the example i would give us something like it, it is kind of amazing you know on its face it's yeah. kind of amazing like you can now see the world from space in ways that you, you couldn't before and this is a way to sort of use yeah large language models to to kind of uh, uh create yeah um you know new versions of reality if you like i gave it the task to write a poem for Burns Night and it did fairly well didn't put any Scots language in but it it did quite a good job at that so those kind of creative pursuits are really interesting but I think that's where we're going to have to wait and see whether that actually has an impact because you know this question of what is art really if it's not made with the kind of emotional investment of of the creator I think is, is really interesting I wonder whether just as we've seen kind of the rise of artisan goods that you know that cost more because they're made by by a human's mm. hand you know maybe we'll see kind of brain made uh works of art and literature in future that have the certification that they're made by by a human as compared to open uh, openai's chat gpt which can do these tasks i mean it can you know write a decent response to an essay um at maybe a level or undergrad level so that that does have the potential to mm. really mess up assessment at those mm. levels um but i don't think it's close to let's say writing a default thesis not that yeah. i've tried um, but i don't <laughs> yeah. think you'd be very good at that um so it's still a, a level or two below um the kind of high, high end of of cognition but that doesn't mean it can't um replace or or supplement a lot of efforts at, at different levels and, and yeah that is a big deal and that's clearly why microsoft has made this investment yeah it's really interesting i was reading this um well, I think it was just a tweet, actually. I was going to try and pretend I was reading something more <laughs> intellectual, but I think it was just a tweet, where someone pointed out that 
we keep finding AI, or we keep creating AI to to make us, you know, to take away from like fun activities like art or mm. storytelling or you know, um, a, as opposed to making AI that does. I mean, obviously, we are using this as well to make to make more banal things. Um, you know, people want to be able to spend time doing these activities as well, like leisure activities. Not that ChatGPT obviously can be used for quite a range here, but people, you know, like writing poetry, people like making art, people like writing stories. Um, I don't personally feel the need for AI to do those things. It's not even a question for me of is that art or is that poetry? It's just a question of, well, I think people would like to have more time to do those things and less yeah. time to like, you know scrub data <laughs> well i mean to tie this back to the, the previous story you know mm. that there is i think in our lifetimes there's going to be um a really fundamental crisis of of employment or maybe an opportunity uh in terms of what we mean by employment what it means to have a job because clearly a lot of jobs aren't necessarily being directly replaced by technology but it's certainly being transformed by technology mm. um and some you know sadly um are being kind of made redundant um not just by technology but but by other social forces and so thinking about what that means, I think, is going to be uh, really interesting in, in the years ahead. Um, but in this case, I think you know clearly this is a pretty um, pretty obvious move by Microsoft to try and steal a march on on Google. Mm. There's um, talk that this technology is going to be put into Bing, so it might be that you know finally Google's two decade dominance of the search engine landscape <laughs> might actually be challenged if if this can be used in the right way. But there are still massive um, considerations, yeah. including obviously things about bias and things about um, the uh, how these language models are trained and, and whether what they what they spit out reflects reality, but also how they're trained in terms of the use of human labour to do so. You know, we've, we're not covering the story directly this week, but last week there was a story uh, about the fact that uh, Kenyan uh, workers are being tr- paid less than two dollars an hour to actually work through these these um, the training data involved in, in developing these models. Um, and so that is, as we always talk about, the invisible human labour behind how these things are trained, which is really important to keep in mind as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's kind of, that's the kind of story that you'll so often... Whenever there's a buzzy new technology, you can bet that there's some kind of human labour... <laughs> behind it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, element behind it. And I think in the case of ChatGPT and OpenAI, we've just been waiting for that sort of story to come out. Mm. Um, you know, it's so unsurprising, I think, to those of us who work in tech, and I think perhaps... So surprising to people who don't, because companies obviously would like you to pretend that there isn't this, you know, underpaid, exploited human labor element in technology. We, you know, technology like this grows and functions because we're not aware of exploitation. And, you know, that was obviously um, that's obviously a a big part of thinking about uh, ChatGPT. If you are interested in this story, it was uh, a time exclusive that Mm. ran, as Josh says, about a week ago. Um, and I think very relevant to our discussions this week and last week about the exploitation of workers uh, at all aspects of technology, whether yeah. that's the gig economy or, you know, by big tech companies like Microsoft. Yeah, definitely. And I think in particular when you know, company CEOs make grand claims about how, you know, we've done all this, you know, created this amazing product with just a, a staff of hundreds Actually, yeah, there's, it's not hundreds, it's almost always thousands behind mm. the scenes who, who aren't, yeah, compensated in, in, in the same way. Um, but we wanted to cover one more um, story this week, as we always do. Uh, and this is a story uh, on quite a different tack about efforts by the Indian government to censor a documentary and the spread of that documentary online. 
Yep. So if you have been following this or if you're interested in Indian politics at all, you might know that there has been a BBC documentary called India, the Modi question. Um, the first episode of that was meant to air in India, but controversy erupted. And as a result, um, the documentary is no longer screening in India. You, I mean, you're not able to watch it. I don't know what people's, I mean, if you have, if you have a VPN in India, obviously the situation might be a little bit different. Um, the documentary is the Indian government have claimed is very critical um, and, you know, um, you know, the, the documentary kind of people have argued, like the Indian government's argued that it pushes a British, British imperialist agenda. It's critical of things that critics of Modi have said for a long time, which mm-hmm. is his allegations of complicity in the Gujarat riots in 2002. Two. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think, uh, well, it's kind of just one in a much, much, much longer story um, of what the Indian government has been doing with any kinds of narratives or any kinds of stories, or whether they're fiction or non-fiction, that show a different, show India in a different light to the light that they would like it to be seen in. Um, you know, I kind of have been thinking and reading and writing about this a lot recently. It's been something that they do in Bollywood, um, and you know, it can be as simple as showing a like a Muslim and a Hindu in a relationship. Um, mm. That can be seen as very controversial. In this case, of course, the BBC is courting a little bit more controversy by, you know, um, uncovering kind of more detailed memos and more detailed actions taken by Modi in 2002. Um, and, of course, this has been banned. Uh, Josh, you know, have you seen the documentary, actually? I have not seen it, and I regret not doing so, and I think I will make it a point to watch it as soon as possible. Um, and secondly, yeah, where, where do you think that, that this can go for the Indian government? Yeah, I haven't seen it, and um, I I would like to see it. And the fact that we can see it is obviously the benefit of, of being in this country and, and not um, having the censor. Because this is this is hardcore censorship, right? Yeah. This is like not just taking it off Twitter, but also taking it off YouTube and even removing it or having it removed from the Internet Archive. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very much a seemingly effective attempt to take a, a piece of social commentary and criticism uh, off offline. Um, and so far, as I say, it seems to have been. Successful, so I think it's a big, um, it's a big story. Um, the fact that this is uh, on Twitter now that, of course, Twitter is owned by Musk, also raises other questions around Musk's other business interests uh, in uh, places like India and China, and the fact that he's been lobbying for a while uh, without any luck so far to to get tax breaks um, for Tesla within India. So I think because of um, Musk's multiple ownerships, inevitably, anytime something like this happens in a uh, in a different country where Musk has business dealings, people are going to be asking questions about about why he's uh, why he and his company are taking those decisions. Um, so that's another factor here as well. But as I say, to be fair, it isn't just Twitter; it's, it also has affected YouTube and others. Definitely, I think you know with the Musk point, um, Twitter, like we, you know, has had obviously massive job cuts in relation to the first story that we had yeah. today. Um, there, you know, went from something like there aren't really, there weren't really ever very many people working in India for Twitter. Um, yeah. That number has since been uh, cut by about a third. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is a massive problem when we think about countries in the global south and content moderation. How can you moderate and how can you think about these issues when you haven't got people on the ground who know about these cultural disputes, who know about 
you know, like how much does Elon Musk know about the history of the Indian government? (laughs) Exactly. And one of the things that um, Musk tweeted, not in relation to this in particular, but uh, in general with respect to how he um, seeks to balance free speech with with other legal obligations, he says, uh, he's previously said, my preference is to hew close to the laws of countries (laughs) in which Twitter operates. If the citizens want something banned, then pass a law to do so. Otherwise, it should be allowed, which, uh, well, um, you know, covers up a, a lot here, like it skews a lot, because obviously, you know, the BJP is the, is the ruling party in India, but it's not the only party. India is a democracy, albeit uh, one with challenges, like uh, almost any. Mm. Uh, and so the idea that this is just a case of citizens themselves rising up, just like citizens rose up in uh, Tahrir Square in Egypt, is, is a very, very much a false equivalent. Yeah, I mean, you can't see me, obviously, because on the podcast, <laughs> but I'm rolling my eyes so massively yeah. at what, what Elon Musk said. Uh, I think also, you know, India keeps testing this idea of what a democracy is and not in the correct, you know, India's what kind of democracy can't can't stand up to a documentary about its prime minister? What kind of democracy bans uh, a documentary about its prime minister? It's one of those issues that unfortunately is so, so, so clear to those of us outside India and is so obviously the wrong thing to do. And yet in India, for some reason, and it, you know, it's because of you know having impartial media. It's because of media and individual journalists and people being afraid of you know the wrath of the BJP. This this issue is turned into something that it's not essentially. Yeah, and we should say as well that you know Modi isn't going to last forever in this role. He's probably going to stand down. Um, you know, within the next kind of five years. I mean, he may, he may not. Who knows? Um, but the expectation is that he will stand on and pass another generation within his. Party. So although this particular documentary concerns his mm. uh, allegations about his uh, role with respect to uh, what happened in Gujarat in, in 2002, there will be other leaders and there will be other controversies and there will be other things that they want to potentially cover up. So this provides a really dangerous precedent, I think, for yeah. the Indian government to just say, no, that's it, it's, it's gone. And, and while Modi is very, very dear to the BJP, obviously, there are other um, figures both in the party and in the RSS, which yeah. is the more right-wing wing of, well, of, of, of the BJP, mm-hmm. And just in general, in the public, who holds also very dear spots, and I think that you know this is just they'll they'll do this for Modi absolutely, but I think we I'm sure we will see that they will and they have done for many other people. Yeah, um, it's a really terrifying uh, further example of the the right wing Hindu nationalist um, ruling party mm-hmm. at play, and I think if I mean I'm going to make it a priority to watch it. I think if you're Indian yeah. and you're outside the country, take the opportunity you have. Um, to watch it and tell family and friends about it in India because I think it's a really incredible initiative by the BBC, by, by the BBC and really, really important. Yeah, it proves that the BBC can do good things even if uh, questions have been raised about how it elects its, its chairs. That's <laughs> a whole other thing Topical. which probably isn't in our scope. But uh, yeah, well, that was, as ever, a pretty good tour through uh, three of the big stories in tech this week. Uh, we have loads of uh, loads of shows planned in the coming weeks because we have um, loads of guests and also, of course, there'll be loads more stories to talk about in the world of tech. Yep. We are, actually, we were just saying that we have so many guests. We're, we're really excited. We're going to bring yeah. some great people on. Um, but as ever, if there are any stories that you'd like us to cover, anything that you'd like to talk to us about, mm-hmm. um, please reach out to us on Twitter at Skeptex. We also uh, have a Substack now. We do. We're, we're pushing these episodes out. So if you need to, uh, if you'd like to hear any of our most recent episodes from the last six months or so, you can now do that at skeptics.substack.com, and that's where you can also sign up to get this uh, uh, every episode of our podcast sent right to your inbox. Definitely not mandatory, but we do recommend it. Yeah. 
Uh, so thanks very much, Josh. And yeah, I you. will see you next time. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.